guys, today I'm going to read chapter 18 of the Shakespeare Spy, so here I go. Although the morning, after the morning and the afternoon, I was so occupied with the usual round of tasks that I had no chance to begin discussing and disguising Mr. Shakespeare's words, as we know. I hardly mattered, though. Judith did not appear until dinner, and then she was too busy being the center of everyone's attention to say much to me, let alone inquire about my play. <clears throat> Sam was one of the few members of the company who did not seem to care much that Judith had been up all day. He was more interested in conversing with, conversing with Mr. Garrett. I was concentrating on Judith and did not hear and did not hear much of what Mr. Garrett was saying. Whatever it was, it was and had it held Sam spellbound. As we reluctantly followed Mr. Armin upstairs for a scrumming practice, I said, What were you and Mr. Garrett going about? He was telling me more of his adventures in France and Holland and elsewhere. I have certainly been in a lot of places. Was uh, a soldier do you wish? No, I don't get I don't think so. He was just traveling about having adventures, I guess. Sam caught me by the sleeve and whispered eagerly. He says that perhaps one day if he returns to the continent he'll take me with him. I stared at him. You'd truly be willing to give up the theater, wouldn't you, if it meant a chance to see the world? I considered this for all the several seconds. Nay, I said, this is world enough for me. Mr. Garrett joined to... (coughs) Mr. Garrett continued to join us regularly for meals and card playing. But though he contributed much uh, to the conversation... It was always information for of a general sort. He seldom revealed anything of any consequence about himself. Aside from his own past, the one topic he carefully avoided was religion. The, when Ned Shakespeare asked his opinion of the question of Walter Rell, once the, the Queen's favorite, was the Amethyst, for merrily a spectacle, Mr. Garrett replied, My opinion, sir, is the gentleman should not discuss matters of theology. Though the man's tone was perfectly cordial, Ned reacted as though he'd been rebuked. And that is my opinion, sir, that a gentleman should not be afraid to speak his mind on any matter unless he has something to conceal. Mr. Garrett seemed unter seemed unterper unperturbed. Do you not know that everyone at this table, perhaps everyone everywhere, has some topic he would just as soon not touch upon. 
He regarded Ned steadily with those unrising coal black eyes. You, for example, is there not some part of your life that would prefer to keep to yourself? Ned could not meet the man's gaze. That is not your business. Mr. Garrett turned his palms upward as though to say he had proven his point. You're quite, you're quite right. As I believe your brother put it, a gentleman's business is his own. Later, as the troop was dis- dispersing, each man to his own task, Judith approached me and Sam. Master Pelvey has graciously offered to show me the city this Sunday at- after church services. I was hoping you two would come along. We would have a fine time, the four of us. It sounds good to me, said Sam. It did not to me. It sounded like the worst idea I I had ever heard. Though I wanted to protest that we would have a far finer time if there were but two of us, I kept suddenly silent. Wait, said Judith. You'll come with us, will you not? As an actor, I had learned that you cannot play the leading role. The next best thing is to be Matthew. Some character to fancies his or her tragic fate with a dignity as writing a tear from the audience's eye. I'm sorry, I replied in my most dignified voice. I must work on my play, you know. The artist who suffers for his art, there was a role guaranteed to win her sympathy. I had even remembered to say, my, and, no, and thus avoided sounding quaint. My speech did not have quite the effect I had intended. Judith pressed her petal-like lips together in a look of inspiration. I might have known what's wrong. Oh, nothing, nothing at all. She turned to Sam, suddenly smiling again. We're meeting outside at St. Olive's as soon as the services are over. As we headed upstairs, Sam said to me, Don't you think... Uh, don't you think I don't know why you're not coming? I explained why. Much? That's not the reason. The reason is, you'd rather have her all to yourself. Am I right? Nay, it's as I said, I need time to work on my play. Well, even if that's true, I don't believe I'd have told her so. Why not? Because you naughty, I'll wager she's heard that every excuse from her father a hundred times at least. Though I longed to return Judith's good graces, I knew I would never accomplish it by tramping along London with the company of Sam and Salpoli. I did not I did not need Madame La Vision to predict what would happen. It would be a slunky and resentful, and then Sam would poke fun at me, and then I would grow angry. 
Though playing the mateur had not worked so well, it was better than playing the fool. I made up my mind when uh, then that I should show them. I I would make a good make good on what had until now been no more than an empty boast. I could write I would write a play and it would be good and it would be produced and profitable and praised and then let them dare to make fun of me. It should not be def- a difficult task. After all, I had two-fifths of the scripts written already, and I hadn't even begun. As far as I knew, there are no ghosts or lepers in it, or even lovers, but if, but it did have folk ranting uh, about their money problems, and that surely was something everyone could relate to. So fierce was my, my resolve that if I could have, I would have set to work at once. But of course, there was a squirming practice, and then singing practice, and then a performance. By the time I reached my room that night, after playing with the boys, tucked Teddy in, and reporting to Mr. Pope, my eagerness to work on the play had faded considerably. Nevertheless, I forced myself back to the table, and not the bed. I unrolled the script, set various objects upon it to keep it flat, and began to copy it in my own hand to clean sheet of paper. Act 1, Scene 1, Rome, a hall in Timon's house. Well, that was no good. Setting the play in Italy, like sending an engraved invitation, to Queen's private consul, begging to be investigated. I crossed out Rome, and after a moment, a moment's thought, I wrote Athens. That was an incongruous enough. The Greeks didn't even have a god, let alone a pope. I would have found find replacements for all those Roman sounding names as well, but but that could wait. The first scene was a bit slow compared to ha- Hamlet, which starts right out with a ghost. But there were several speeches that were worthy of Mr. Shakespeare, particularly those of Appentimus, a sarcastic, unpleasant wife who rather put me in mind of Salpoli. Well, I'd have to see to it that he was given the role. By a, beyond, by a wave of optimism, I conscribed the entire first team. I, <coughs> <coughs> I changed almost nothing. Aside from substituting Athenian whenever, whenever it said Roman, when I reached scene two, however, my heart sank. It, I didn't know that acting company Mr. Shakespeare had in mind, but but it must have been considerably larger than the Lord Chamberlain's men. 
There were at least eight Roman nobles. Make that Athenian nobles. In the scene, which the several attendants, with several attendants, as though that wasn't possible enough, an actor playing Cupid came on, accompanied by a mask, a mask of ladies as Amazons with lutes in their hands dancing and playing of course we often met the demands of large cast by playing several rows apiece but generously not all at the same time i sighed wearily obviously i had i would have to do more with this scene than just copy it out it would have to wait However, until I could hold my eyes open. In the morning, I set to work afresh and managed to <coughs> dispense with about half an original cast before Sam called me for me. You look as though you've hardly slept a wink, he said. I've heard that's a common plight among these tormented by love. Is that it was the news that tormented me? I replied handedly. News, said Sam, feigning, feigning puzzlement. Has Mr. Pope begun taking an orphan cat as well? He gave him a disdainful look. I would not expect you to understand. You have never experienced the throes and poetic, poetic creation. You're right. And it turns a, a po- person into a total goose cap. I, I hope I never do. I have pretended to ignore his unkind remark. After a while, he said cautiously, So, is there a good role for me in your plagiarism? Oh, I. In fact, I've written a part especially for you. What? Really? What sort of part is it? Cupid. He stared at me incredulously. Cupid? Well, I thought it was only fitting, I said. As you can so, so much about love. Then he entered the courtyard of cross keys and I caught sight of an un unsavory looking man in a dirty seamless tunic standing outside the dark parlor with his face pressed to the window despite the cold he wore no cloak only a woolen scarf wrapped around his neck all the talk i had heard late about the theft and spying had made me uneasy and my hand went to handle my dad. Do can that white? I whispered to Sam. No, and I don't think I care to. The stranger did not appear to be armed, which gave me the courage to sternly to call sternly to him. You're there. He whirled about and started and a startled scowl upon his face. One hand reached inside his tunic as to retrieve a weapon. 
then changed abruptly from, menis- from menacing to ingrating. Good morning to you, youngsters. My pew, by any chance, have associated with the folk that put on the place here. His lower class London accent was so thick that I understood only about half of words, but I was enough but it was enough to catch his meaning. Have you come some sort of business with him? I do. Could you tell me where to find the gentleman in charge? Still wary, I replied. I can carry a message to them and ask whether or not I wishes to see you. The, the man's friendly facade slipped a little. Oh, he'll wish to right enough. Tell him, the stranger paused and, eyes narrowed, searching my face carefully. Here, I know you. You're the lad that was so thick with Julia, ain't you? For a moment, I was struck speechless by this unexpected reverence of my old friend. You, you can Julia? He grinned, revealing the row of rotten teeth. I should think I do, he said. I'm her dad. So that was chapter 18. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya, see ya later. Bye, Bye. guys!